Thank you. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. What a privilege it is to be here. And I'm glad that you're here. You know, I remember it was a long time ago. Actually, uh, Dr. R and I were in school together for just a little bit. He was finishing up as I was starting. And I look back on those days, and I realize now how critical those days were to the days that I'm living in today. And I I want to be a help to you this morning. We're going to get into it uh, pretty quickly. Like it or not, you are going to spend most of your life working. There is going to be somewhere that you're going to go, and you're going to have to show up every day and perform a task in order to to earn a living. Uh, Some of you are going to be involved in ministry. I hope many of you, most of you, uh, I hope that all of you will be involved in ministry. Uh, Some of you will be involved in in ministry full-time. I was brought up, I was brought up to work when I was just a kid. My dad gave me jobs to do. Uh, My dad died six years ago this month, and uh, he had dementia, and my mom called one day, and she said, uh, you need to get down here. Your daddy left just like 3 o'clock in the morning. And so uh, I get my brother, and we go down to where my parents live. And before we could get there, my mom called, and she said, I found him. I found him. And I said, where was he? She said he was walking down the road. It was in the wintertime. North Carolina winters are, are still pretty mild, but it was in the wintertime. He didn't have any shoes on, had on a pair of pants and a T-shirt. She pulled up beside him in the car, rolled the window down, and said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to work. And I thought, you know, I'm glad that when my dad lost his mind, he still knew he needed to go to work. I'm glad he didn't say, I'm going to the post office to pick up my welfare check. You know what I'm saying? And so we're we're going to work. It's just what God created us to do. But I was reading recently in Matthew chapter 26, and I want you to notice with me in verse number 10, the Bible says, when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? Notice what it says here, for she hath wrought a good work upon me. You see, it's one thing to work. It's another thing to do good work. I was thinking this morning, I was going through some scripture. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Well, well, what's he going to do? He's going to sell everything he has. He wasn't just looking for pearls. He was looking for good pearls. Scripture goes on. And now also uh, the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I I like the fact that Paul, when he came to the end of his life, he didn't say, I have fought a fight. You know, that's what a lot of fundamentalists do. They, they, they're just fighting fights. But the Bible said that Paul said, I have fought a good fight. And I want to challenge you today about this matter of good work. Will you be involved in good work? The story is legend. Many of you would know it. Jesus is in Bethany, and uh, Mary is there, and they're sharing a meal during his visit. She brings a box of very precious ointment, breaks the box, and pours it on the Lord's head, and People get, began to criticize, and the Lord rebuked everyone, and he said, leave her alone because she has wrought a good work on me. Let me, talk, let me share some things with you this morning 
about what, what is good work. The first thing I think about in this passage is that good work is opportunistic. It's opportunistic. If you notice with me here in verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. I like this. I circled it in my Bible. Jesus was in the house. You know, it's not every day Jesus is in the house. Now in North Carolina, man, there's um, churches everywhere and all different kinds of churches. People worship in all different kinds of ways, and, and there are folks, some, some people would say, well, that's a camp meeting church, and I'm not against that, <clears throat> but in some of these churches, there, there's some pretty interesting things, Dr. R., that take place, and someone will say something like this. They'll say, boy, we really had church tonight, and I'm thinking, well, what did we have last Sunday, Right? Or they'll say, i tell you one thing, brother, it got on tonight. And I'm thinking, was it off Wednesday? Or then they'll say this, hey, hey, we had church. The big preacher showed up tonight. God was in the house. Well, you know, my Bible tells me that where two or three are gathered, he is always in the midst of them. So he is here with us this morning. And Mary looked at this situation, and here's what she said. I may never have this opportunity again. The Lord is in the house. Jesus is in the house. It was opportunistic work. Scripture says in Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I want to challenge you with five weeks left in this period, this grading period, this is an opportunity to, for you to be at West Coast Baptist College in this particular day. This will never happen again. We, we're living in some crazy days, man. And I know you have figured that out. It's absolutely crazy. The last 19 or 20 months, and I know you hear this all the time, it's been out of control. We've been trying to figure out what to do. Last November, uh, we were having our missions conference. Dr. Sis was going to be with us. And uh, we had had about four or five cases of COVID. And so I called Dr. Sisk and I said, look, I, just to let you know, I said, now, I think we're okay, but I want to let you know we've had some COVID. And he said, Brother Finley, I, I, I'm coming. It'll be fine. I called all five of our missionary families and told them. And so we had our conference and everything was great. We had a funeral on Thursday and we got COVID. I got COVID. We had 60 cases in a two-week period in our church. It's crazy. You know, mass, no mass, vax, no vax, service, no service, virtual parking lot. We, we, did, uh, we did virtual for about 12 weeks, and then we went out on the parking lot. And uh, that was about the middle of May. And we did about four weeks out on the parking lot. And uh, then something came up. It was the temperature. And, man, it got really hot in June on an asphalt parking lot in North Carolina. And I said, hey, we're going back inside. It's been crazy. But hey, you know what? God knew that when he created you. Do you understand that? Do you understand as Jeremiah the prophet, God said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And here's what I believe as a grandpa with eight grandkids and one on the way, and my, my kids are a little bit anxious about their kids growing up in today's America. Do you know what I believe? God knew you would be alive in this age, in this era, during this pandemic, and God has given you what you need. You have an opportunity. 
God has given you an opportunity. Good work will always be opportunistic work. Not only is it opportunistic, but I like this about it. Good work is deliberate. It's deliberate. Look, if you would, at verse number 7. There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it, notice this, poured it on his head as he sat at meat. See, I, I, I'm just reading between the lines here. But this was predetermined. This, this was not something, this was not random, this was not haphazard, this was not impromptu. This was on purpose. She was not in her house, she was in Simon's house. So if I'm reading it correctly, that means that when she, when she came, she brought this very precious ointment with her. It was very deliberate. And the scripture says that when she, when she approached the Savior, she broke the box and she poured it on his head. How many of you have younger siblings back home? Anybody have uh, preschool siblings back home? Anybody? I, I had, we had five children, and like I say, I've had, we have eight grandkids, and we take a vacation every June. We go to the Outer Banks. Uh, they're in North Carolina, and everybody comes. All of our kids come. All of their kids come. It's like 17 of us in, in one house. It's like a train wreck. We do that every first week of June, and then in July, my wife and I take a vacation, <laughs> right? But, man, when you got a bunch of little kids, and, and uh, I guess the two oldest are seven, and uh, the youngest one right now is like a year and a half, and so... Man, there is, it is a disaster area. I'm serious, it's just crazy. And, and you got to watch, because I'm going to tell you, those little kids, they will, they will spill stuff on you. Like red fruit punch. They, they don't care. They, they, they don't mean to. But in this passage, the Bible didn't say she spilled. The Bible says she poured it. It was on purpose. If you spend your life doing good work, it'll be because you plan to. Not because it was convenient, not because it just worked out, but because on purpose, deliberately, you made a decision. I made a decision as an 18-year-old teenager at a youth conference that I wanted to live my life doing good work. I didn't want to just, I didn't want to just live my life. I didn't want to just do work, but I wanted to do good work. Good work is opportunistic. Good work is deliberate. Thirdly, and maybe most importantly, good work is Christ-focused. I want you to notice verse number 7 again. There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at me. Later on, they're going to criticize her. We're going to look at that. They're going to say, well, she wasted this ointment. Now, can I, can I give you something to think about? Had she poured it on Peter's head, I would have agreed. I mean, come on, Peter. We, we all know Peter, right? He's, he's the guy that he, he sometimes speaks before he thinks. And, and uh, we're, we're, we're talking about the guy who ran around naked cursing and fishing and he was a little bit out of control. If she had poured it on his head, we may have said to her, Mary, what are you thinking? 
Had she poured it on James' head or John's head, it might have been a waste. But when she poured it on the head of the Son of God, here's what he said about it. He said, Mary, you have, you have done a good work. Because good work is Christ's focus. Colossians 3.17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. What a good work it is when you do what you do for him. We sometimes get confused. I look back on my ministry. I shared recently a few, I think the guys who sang were probably in the meeting. But right out of college, I, I have to be very honest with you this morning and say that I think when I first got in the ministry, it was more about me and less about him. I wanted, I wanted to be fulfilled. I, I wanted to look good. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be successful. And then one day, God put me on my face and reminded me that it wasn't about me, but that it was all about him. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And when you, when you as a college student and you, when you enter into ministry, when you do what you do for him, when you do what you do for his sake, when you do what you do for his glory, that's good work. One of the most exhausting things in the world is people-pleasing. Right? People are nuts, man. It, 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 is, it is so frustrating when you set out in ministry or in life and you say, you know what, I just, want, I, just want, I just want to make everybody happy. About the time you start making someone happy, they change their mind about what makes them happy. It's crazy. But he, our Savior, is the same yesterday and today and forever. In Matthew chapter 6, teaching us how to pray the Bible says, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. It was such a wonderful day in my life. And I've not arrived, but it was such a wonderful day in my life when I decided I wanted to do what I did for Jesus. Not to gain the approval of my alma mater or an alumni association or, or a preacher's fellowship. You, you know, preachers are pretty 
I, I don't know, I'm, maybe I'm just talking about me, but preachers are some of the most insecure people I know. Now, you wouldn't think that, right? You, you come and you hear Pastor Chapel, you hear all the different speakers here, and, and, and they exude confidence. But can I just tell you how it works? When oftentimes when I get in the truck after church, the man of God looks over at my little wife and says, was that okay? Now, now, if she says that was awesome, we're good. If she, if she hesitates for a nanosecond, I'm suicidal. Because, <laughs> man, so often we feel like, and you may be sitting here today and you may say, well, well Brother Finley, really, this is, if you really want to know the truth about it, this is not one of the better sermons that we have heard in chapel. Can I tell you something? I don't give a rip what you think. You know why? Because I'm not doing it for you. You know what I've got to be able to do? I've got to be able to pillow my head at night and have the peace of God in my heart that he is pleased with my life and that my work has been done for him. Good work is Christ-focused. It's deliberate. It's opportunistic. Good work is criticized. I promise you, verse 8, but when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Mark it down. If you determine in your life that you're going to do good work, you will be criticized. I mentioned about the pandemic. We went a year. And one thing I learned, I couldn't worry about what what anyone else was doing anywhere. I, I had to follow the Lord in this thing, man, you know. When do, you, when do you start this? When do you do this? We, we, went, we went a year without having a choir. And this past March, we were going to have choir for the first time. We were so excited. And, man, we packed around. We probably had 60, 70 people in the choir. It was awesome. After the service, one of our security guys came to me. He said, Pastor, I hope that the police didn't um, distract you. I said, do What? He said, I hope that the police didn't distract you. I said, what were they doing here? He said, well, the guy came in and he said, we got a call that you guys have a choir full of people and no mask. Busted. <laughs> My guy said, said, yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, the, the people who were protesting in downtown Durham, they didn't they didn't get a, they didn't, nobody called about them. Here we are trying to do good work. Here we are trying to sing his praises. Here we are trying to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the cops show up. And the police officer looked at my security guy and he said, Thank you for exercising your constitutional rights. Have a great service. <laughs> One for the good guys, brother. It was awesome. <laughs> that juiced me a little bit. That helped me. But people, people are going to say to you, what do you mean you want to be in the ministry? When I got ready to leave, I didn't plan to go to college. I didn't plan to be a preacher. And I surrendered to the ministry. And six weeks later, I'm leaving. And uh, my dad, who uh, was one of the greatest men I know, uh, he didn't get it. He didn't understand me going to Bible college. 
And we, he and I were having a conversation, and he said, uh, he said, I just don't understand what you're doing. And I said, well, I, to be honest, Daddy, I don't either. I just know God's called me. And he said to me, here's what he said to me. Well, don't you know this? Preachers don't make no money. He was telling the truth about that. <laughs> and through the years, there have been a lot of times when people have questioned and criticized and doubted. But that just goes with the territory when you're doing good work. As a matter of fact, I found this to be true, that critics sometimes even validate that my work is good work. You know, we have people coming out, the NBA stars are coming out, the movie stars are coming out, and, and everybody's talking about uh, they disagree with this. The more I hear that crowd talk about what they disagree with, the more I know I'm right. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, I don't want to line up with those people. And when you say, I want to live for Jesus, I want to do what I do for his sake, I, I, I'm going to do it on purpose, and I'm going to take advantage of this one life that God has given me, and I want to use it for his glory. Somebody is going to say, I just don't understand why you're doing that. Good work is criticized. Good work is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Verse 7 says that it was very precious ointment. Verse 9 says, for this ointment might have been noticed, sold for much and given to the poor. In John's account in chapter 12, verse 5, it says, why was, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? You can study and find all kinds of estimates, but... I just kind of landed on 300 pence is equivalent to 300 days wages. And so here was a little lady who was giving well nigh a year's salary for him. She wasn't about giving the leftovers. She wasn't about just getting by. Those who are engaged in truly good work understand that it could cost them everything in order to see their work accomplished. Matthew 8, 19, And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Why in the world, why in the world do we think we can do good work and it not cost us anything? I don't know what it's like in California, and I don't know what it's like anywhere else in North Carolina, but I know what it's like at my place. I feel like we are, we are morphing into a convenient Christianity. If it doesn't cost me much, if I don't have anything else to do, if it fits into my schedule, if it's convenient, Pastor, if, if we're in town, I'll be happy to help with that event. That's just what I see at my place. But what scares me more than that is I also see it in ministry. 
I see a lot of young adults come out of Bible college and they want to know, and I realize that you've got to be informed. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. I know you have interview days coming up, but they want to know what's my schedule and what's my compensation and what are my hours and what are my benefits? How much vacation time do I get? How much maternity leave do I get? Do I get time and a half for overtime? Whatever happened to spend and be spent? And I know we all have to take care of our families, but can I just tell you this? If I didn't get paid to do what I do, I'd pay to do what I do. I, 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 I worry that sometimes we, we want to we wanna do good work, but we want to do it on our terms. I want to remind you this morning that we will not reach the world with spare time and spare change. But someone has to walk in and they have to break that box and they have to pour out what they have been given for his glory. I probably told this here, but many years ago we were flying, several of our staff were flying, and we were in a small plane, two seats on one side of the aisle, one on the other. And I, I, won't, I won't embellish the story and go into a lot of detail, but <clears throat> the captain buzzed. And we only had one flight attendant, and they, they, that was back when they still had the carts that they pushed up and down the aisle. And he left a cart there near me and my, my wife and I, and he went up, and he's on the phone with the captain, and his eyes get real big. And he hangs the phone up and he runs down the aisle to the beverage cart and pushes it to the back of the plane and runs back up. And I'm, I'm not feeling good about this picture. He grabbed a book and he's looking for a certain page. The captain comes on and he says, ladies and gentlemen, we apologize, but we have had to discontinue our beverage service so that the flight attendant can prepare the ca uh, cabin for an emergency landing. He's going through this book, and he gets to the page. My wife's here. She'll verify this. He gets to the page he needs, and he rips it out of the book. And I looked at Renee, and I said, I don't think he plans on using that book again. <laughs> he's holding this piece of paper, and he's on this thing, and he's shaking like this. We had lost all of our hydraulics. I said, what does that mean? That pretty much everything on the plane. Like the landing gear, that's hydraulic. The steering, that's hydraulic. So, so we circle, we, we divert. We're supposed to go to Chicago. We divert to Columbus because they have a really long runway and a very good fire department. <laughs> Thankfully, by the grace of God, we landed. But, but you know what that old boy was thinking? This may be my last opportunity. Your life, this life you're living, it's a one-time deal. And if you're going to do good work, it's going to be sacrificial. It's going to cost you something. Good work is influential. In John's account in chapter 12, verse 3, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. 
You know, I believe, I believe everyone in that house knew something had happened because of the fragrance of that ointment. Nothing smells sweeter than a life lived selflessly for others, and nothing stinks more than a life lived selfishly for ourselves. You've been around those people, right? Who it's obvious that it's all about others. She breaks this. The Bible says the odor fills the house. I like to eat Mexican food. Amen. I got a witness right here. I heard that. Sunday, uh, we were finishing up a missions conference in uh, Oregon for Pastor Mason, and we went to get Mexican food, and I got fajitas. There's only one problem about eating fajitas. Everyone you cross paths with for three days knows that you ate fajitas. I mean, they bring that. They, I was sitting there Sunday, and they bring this, this iron pan sitting on something to keep it from burning everything. Smoke is pouring off of it. It's sizzling, and the waiter says, it's a hot plate. Thank you for telling me that. I'll probably, <laughs> I'd have probably missed that. But sure enough, here comes, here comes, here comes all of that, that odor. We, we can go eat Mexican, and later that day, I get around my wife, and I don't know whether to kiss her or lather her up with sour cream. I'm not sure which to do, because it's, it's, it's just, it, everybody knows. And you know what? When you, when you live a life for others, when you live a life for him, when you live a life, when you do good work, it, it, it influences people. They notice. You know why you're here today? I'm going to tell you why you're here. Because someone did good work. Not just work, but they did good work. Verse 13, verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial for her. It's 2,000 years later, guys, and here we are in Lancaster, California, and her testimony still influences us. Because, because, not because she worked, not because she was diligent, not because she was exhausted every night when she went to bed, but because she did good work. And then lastly, good work is not only influential, but good work is eternal. It's eternal. Verse 13, verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached. We just read the verse. And you know what? You know what God did? God recorded it in his eternal word. Forever. Can, can I ask you a question? You're not going to live forever. I, I thought when I was 20, I thought I was. Uh, when, I was, when I was in college, I thought, man, I'm gonna, I, my life, I got this, I'm going to live forever. I've got this long life, but we're going to have a time. We got, my wife and I met in college. We got engaged. We married. We got in the ministry. Everything's fresh and new and exciting. And we've been serving in that church for 38 years now. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but I'm just trying to be honest 
I don't have another 38. And you start looking, you start looking at, at, at coming. We're going to have Dr. Sisk with us for our conference in just a few weeks. And I, I so am challenged by his life and legacy and testimony. But it's not because he's 88, 89 years old still preaching. It's because he's impacted eternity. I, a lady in our church, Susan McKinney, several years ago, her dad passed. He didn't attend our church. He was a Christian. And she, I was not with them when her dad graduated to glory, but she told me later, she said, preacher, that's the first person I've ever been with when they stopped living on this side and started living on the other side. Mr. Tuck was a successful man. He, he was not, he was not poor. He had lived a wonderful life. But here's what she said. She said, you know what? It hit me. When that line went flat on that monitor and my dad's chest stopped moving, the only thing that mattered was that he knew Jesus. That's all that mattered. We're living in a culture that is temporally driven. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of bells and whistles. But just remind yourself, if you can see it, it's not eternal. Are you, are you going to spend your life doing eternal work? So I, I, I feel like God's called me into business. That's fine. We need Christian businessmen. But you better be a businessman who invests in eternity. Or else, you're just going to spend your life working. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just work. I want to do good work. Frances Chadwick, you may have heard the story. She attempted to swim the 26 miles between Catalina Island and the California coastline. She started that morning. She was flanked by small boats that watched for sharks and were prepared to help her she grew, got hurt or grew tired, and about 15 hours into her swim, a very thick fog set in and settled on the water. I said, Francis is Florence. Florence began to doubt her ability, and her mother, who was in one of the boats, she told her mom, she said, Mom, I don't think I can make it. Her mom tried to encourage her, but ultimately, in the midst of a very dense fog, Florence Chadwick said, I I can't make it anymore. What she didn't know was she was only a mile from the shore. They pulled her in a boat, wrapped her in blankets, gave her some liquids, and she kept saying this. She said, if I could have seen the shore, I think I would have made it. If I could just have seen the shore. Two months later, she decided to try again. The same frigid waters the same dense fog, the same obscure view, but this time she made it. She got to the shore and they asked her, they said, Florence, you said last time two months ago 
You said that if you could have seen the shore, you think you would have made it, but you couldn't see the shore. You couldn't see the shore today. She said, no, I couldn't see the shore today, but I knew it was there, and I envisioned it in my mind. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know what we have to do? We have to determine right here at West Coast Baptist College. You, you got to make your mind up. Are you just going to spend your life working or are you going to spend your life doing good work? 